the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. His emphasis in, in this letter is that believers in Christ already have all the knowledge they need. You and I have everything we need to grow in Christ. And that, folks, is why the central message and the central theme of 2 Peter is the word knowledge. Remember we said that the word knowledge or its various forms are mentioned 16 times in this little epistle. It's just three chapters long. But understand, that's what Peter was dealing with. So at the very beginning of his letter, Peter wastes no time in getting to the heart of his message. He tells his readers that God has provided them everything they need to grow spiritually. 2 Peter chapter 1. That's our text today and in the coming days as Pastor Steve Kreloff leads us in a new study of Scripture about God's provision for spiritual growth. It's a great comfort to know that God has not left us on our own to find out how to become more like Him. He's given us all that we need, as Pastor Steve is about to explain. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is our way of bringing His practical teaching ministry to a wider audience. As I mentioned, it's comforting to know that God has given us what we need in order to grow more Christ-like. On the other hand, there is an implied challenge in that knowledge. The challenge is that there is no excuse for us not growing spiritually. Turn your Bible, if you have it with you, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and listen now as Pastor Steve gives us the details. Well, There is probably no better time in history than now to be a sports fan, if one were to be a sports fan. There are more sporting events on television than ever before. Magazines and the Internet provide more information about teams and statistics and player profiles than anybody can possibly keep up with. Believe me, I know. And yet with all of this, to use Bill's favorite word, plethora of information, about sports, fans want even more. They want more. And they just can't get enough. Why? Well, I'm sure there are many reasons why they can't get enough. But but one is because a true sports fan knows what it means to be dedicated and 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 really loyal to a team that, that he follows. He perseveres through the good and the bad times with a, a team. There is an intensity and a and a commitment to sports that that every fan really understands. And rarely do you ever hear of a sports fan uh, quitting following his team, uh, no matter how bad they are. Certainly, you can ask any Cubs fan about that, what it means to persevere. They'll understand immediately. Thank you. Or a Giants fan, I might add, but there aren't many. But rarely do you ever hear about a sports fan who just quits, who just doesn't follow his team, that's it. It just doesn't happen. And yet in the spiritual realm, there are individuals who sort of quit following Christ 
Or if they don't absolutely quit following him, they, they just stop growing in their, in their relationship with the Lord. And, and that intensity and devotion to Jesus Christ just sort of wanes. And somewhere along the line, they seem to have, have lost interest and, and warmth in their relationship with Christ. They, they get away from church. They, they stop really praying much, spending time with him. Fellowship is, is out of their lives. And they, usually what accompanies that are several excuses that they have for why they aren't following Jesus like they used to, maybe busyness or work schedule or or some bad situation. Well, several years ago, a Christian magazine, noting the intensity and commitment of sports fans, gave an analogy between excuses someone might give for quitting sports and the excuses a person might give for quitting church and not following Christ closely. And uh, here are some of the excuses that this magazine came up with that they said a sports fan might make for walking away from being devoted to sports. You'll, you'll get the analogy very quickly as uh, think about not only sports, but church and following Christ. Number one, every time I went, they asked for my money. The people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard and uncomfortable. The coach never came to see me. The referee made a decision with which I could not agree. I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. I like this one. The band played numbers I had never heard before. The games are scheduled when I want to do other things. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel I know more than the coaches anyway. And finally, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Now, everyone knows that sports fans don't quit on their teams. They, they, they really don't have excuses for not following their teams or their involvement with sports. But that, uh, sadly enough, that cannot be said for Christians because many Christians do have excuses as to why they are not following the Lord closely why they can't live godly lives and please the Lord and on a consistent basis. And they have excuses for that. They have excuses for why they, they can't love their spouse and respond to their spouse the way they should. They have excuses for why they can't live a morally pure life. They have excuses for why they don't have victory over a particular besetting sin in their life. And there are all kinds of excuses that people come up with. Well, this morning, we're going to study a passage of Scripture that actually puts to end any excuse, and all excuses for not living a godly life. And that's found in 2 Peter chapter 1. So I'd like you to turn there. We started our study of 2 Peter several weeks ago. First, we gave an introduction, an overall introduction to the book. If you were not here and you plan on studying this with us, I would encourage you to get the tape on that. Then last week, we began by getting into actually the introduction, the first two uh, verses in which Peter introduces himself as the writer, which he tells them that uh, that faith is a gift from God, and they have the same faith bestowed upon them as all the apostles. There, there are no super-duper saints who have more than anybody else in, in their Christian experience. And then in verse 2, he gave them sort of a prayer wish about grace and peace being multiplied to them as they would increase in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, we, we continue with verses 3 and 4. This is, uh, this is a, a passage about no excuses. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these 
He has granted to us his precious, precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, there are a lot of truths floating around in these two verses, but let me give you the gist of what Peter is saying. Let me give you the summation. Let me give you the heart and message of what Peter is saying. These two verses tell us that God has given every believer in Christ all they need to grow spiritually and be maturing in their relationship with Jesus. Everything they need, they've been given. Peter says that we lack nothing to live a godly life. Now, the question is, and I want you to think with me, why would Peter right off the bat get into this? This is heavy, some heavy stuff. You'll, you'll see today, there's some heavy things that we're going to say that Peter is telling us. Why would Peter right off the bat not even glide into it? There's nothing smooth about it. He, jump, he jumps right into it because beginning in verse 3, uh, we get into the heart of, of, of the book, really. Well, the reason is this. The background of this book, as you know, is the false the false teachers who threatened Peter's readers. Remember, that's his concern. There were false teachers who had infiltrated the church. What you may not realize is that they threatened these dear people by claiming that they had special knowledge, special information hidden to other people, but revealed to them. It's this special knowledge that would add something to their spiritual well-being. They had this knowledge. These Ordinary, common Christians were lacking in something. They didn't have the right information. They didn't have the right knowledge. They couldn't be really spiritual like these elite people, these elite false teachers, but these people had it. Now, most Bible teachers believe that the error behind the false teachers that Peter wrote to protect his readers from was the beginning stages of a teaching that later developed in the second century and third and fourth into a very widespread cult known as Gnosticism. I told you that uh, one of the errors we know specifically in their teaching was that they denied the second coming of Christ, but there's more to it than that. And I would agree with uh, the Bible teachers who say that behind their teaching was the error of Gnosticism. Now, what is Gnosticism? Well, Gnosticism had several main beliefs, but the one that Peter attacked was their view of knowledge. Let me read to you what one Bible teacher, uh, how one Bible teacher explained the Gnostic view of knowledge. And I might add that Gnosticism or, or Gnosis means knowledge. The Greek word Gnosis is the word for knowledge. And so we call it Gnosticism as opposed to an agnostic who claims he doesn't have knowledge. He can't know. The Gnostics said they did know. I quote, Gnostics believe matter is evil and spirit is good. They invented heretical explanations of how Christ could be God, meaning he's pure and undefiled spirit, yet take on human flesh, which they viewed as holy evil, as a holy evil material substance. Gnostics taught that there is a spark of divinity within human beings, very close to New Age thinking. Keep this in mind. And that the essence, they said, of spirituality is nurturing this immaterial side and denying material and physical urges. They believed that the chief means of releasing the divine element within a person was through attaining, watch this, intellectual and spiritual enlightenment. Gnostics therefore believed they were privy to a higher level of spiritual knowledge than the average believer had access to. And the secret realm of knowledge was the key to spiritual illumination. In fact, the Greek word gnosis means knowledge. The Gnostic heresy caused many in the church to seek hidden knowledge beyond what God had revealed in his word and through his son, end of quote. 
you should, and it would be helpful to understand that many of the New Testament letters were written in response to Gnosticism. Colossians certainly was, and Second Peter was. And there were other letters as well, too. Now, in light of the Gnostic inroads into the churches, Peter that was addressing, his emphasis in, in this letter is that believers in Christ already have all the knowledge they need. You and I have everything we need to grow in Christ. And that, folks, is why the central message and the central theme of Second Peter is the word knowledge. Remember we said that the word knowledge or its various forms are mentioned 16 times in this little epistle. It's just three chapters long. But understand, that's what Peter was dealing with. So at the very beginning of his letter, Peter wastes no time in getting to the heart of his message. He tells his readers that God has provided them everything they need to grow spiritually. He's provided them with everything they could possibly need. Now, I want you to understand, this is most important, that Gnosticism is not a dead ancient heresy that poses no threat to you, or no threat to me. It does pose a threat. It's here today. It may no longer be called Gnosticism. In fact, it's not called Gnosticism anymore. But any teaching that presents itself as a way to help you spiritually outside the realm of Scripture is Gnosticism. It's Gnosticism. Anything outside the realm of of Scripture is simply a modern form of Gnosticism. It is a neo-Gnosticism. Anything that, any teaching that claims to make you a better person or help affect your behavior in in a godly way is Gnosticism. And this would include, uh, psychology's offer to help you solve your behavioral problems. It would include self-help books and study courses to help you solve uh, and, and your problems, and, and they claim to change you into a better person. It would include the church's fascination with pragmatism that attempts to achieve spiritual goals by fleshly methodology. So what Peter has to say to his original readers is most relevant for us today because we're faced with the same kinds of spiritual dangers. And the question is, do we need anything outside of the Bible to help us grow spiritually? Now, we're not talking about taking a course that's going to help you in your job, uh, teaching you some high-tech information. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about maturity in Christ. We're talking about behavior issues. And we're not talking about behavior issues related even to a medical problem. You have a medical problem and it's affecting your behavior, then go to a medical doctor. But what we're talking about is, do we need anything outside of the Bible, to help us to grow spiritually? And the answer is no. The answer is no, because Peter tells us that God, through his word, has provided everything that we need for our spiritual growth. Now, Peter, and this is what we're going to look at today, Peter specifically mentions two provisions God has given us to promote our spiritual growth. You'll you'll see as we get into this what Peter is talking about. Number one, if you're taking notes, and, and I would encourage you to do this, the first provision for your spiritual growth, for my spiritual growth, the provision God has given is, number one, divine revelation. Divine revelation. Let's begin by looking at verse three. Peter says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So let's stop there. Peter starts off by stating that Jesus Christ by his divine power, has given us everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to him. First, he speaks of everything pertaining to life. Now, what does that refer to? Well, Peter is referring to that inner spiritual life, eternal life, eternal life that God gave us 
when we were born again. He gave us his life. That's what regeneration is. That's what being born again is. Born again is the initial experience, but it continues. You have eternal life. You don't die and get eternal life. You have eternal life if you've trusted Christ. So everything pertaining to life, that is the inner spiritual life that God gave us when we were born again. What does godliness refer to? Godliness refers to the outward manifestation of that inner life. You have life eternal. You have life. God has given you everything pertaining to that life that dwells within you. And he has also given us everything that pertains to the outward manifestation of the spiritual life with godly behavior. In other words, God has given us as his gracious gift, the capacity to honor and glorify him by pleasing him with the way we live. All that we need to be godly and grow spiritually, we already have. In verse 1, Peter said that God has given us faith. You have received a faith, he says, a precious faith, just like ours. Now in verse 3, he tells us that God has given us not only faith, but also everything we need for spiritual vitality and for godliness. Now, in practical terms, what this means is that every believer in Christ has the ability to live a victorious Christian life. That's what it means. There are no valid reasons for a Christian to be defeated by their sin. They may be defeated by their sin, but there's no valid reason for that. You and I have been given everything necessary to have a healthy spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the question is this, but if this is true, And that is what Peter says. I mean, I don't know how he can make it any clearer. But if it's true, and it must be, because the word says it, then why are so many believers defeated? And why are there Christians who just are not growing? I mean, that's reality. The answer is that while God has provided all we need to behave godly, many believers don't know where to find these provisions. In other words, God may have given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, but what are they and where are they? That's the answer. That's the question. The answer is found in the next phrase. Watch this. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, that's the fact. But where is it? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now let's think about what Peter is teaching. He says that all we need for life and godliness has been given, he says, through the true knowledge or the full knowledge or the complete knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what's the true knowledge that Peter is referring to? It's the word of God. The word of God is the knowledge of Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What you know about Jesus Christ, you know from the word of God. This is his word. This is, I know there's a book in the Bible called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, but what I'm referring to is the whole Bible in its entirety. It is the revelation of what God has to say about his son. And that's why, notice, Peter concludes this verse by stating that this is the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. In other words, when Jesus called you to come to him for salvation, he called you through his word because his word reveals the truth about him. His word reveals his glory, that he's more than a man. He's the glorious one. He's the excellent one. He's the all virtuous one. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The truth about Christ is revealed in the Bible, and the Bible gives us all the vital information we will ever need to live godly lives. You see, what Peter is is stating is what others in our day uh, have called the sufficiency of Scripture. 
We call it that. Peter says all things pertaining to life and godliness. But he's talking about the sufficiency of Scripture to deal with every spiritual issue related to godly behavior. Not only did Peter state this, but the Apostle Paul stated this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now this is a, uh, and you, you should see this, because this is not only a declaration that all the Bible is the Word of God, it is a strong statement about uh, not only that Scripture is inspired, but where and why it is profitable, how it is profitable. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. That means that everything that you have from Genesis to the book of Revelation, all that's down on, on the pages of Scripture, whether it's in black and white or a red letter and white, all scripture, every scripture, every word is, has been breathed out by God. God is the primary source. Paul doesn't tell us how it got on the pages of scripture. He's just telling us the fact of it. All scripture is inspired by God, but not only is it inspired, because it's inspired, it is profitable for teaching. That's why we teach the word of God. We teach doctrine. That's what he means here. It's profitable for reproof. The word of God reproves you. It tells you where and how you've sinned, but it doesn't just leave you there. The word of God is given also. It's, it's profitable for correction. It not only tells you where you've gone astray, it tells you how to get back on the road. It corrects you, but it's also profitable for training in righteousness, righteous behavior, godliness. So that, here's the purpose, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God has given you everything you need for righteousness revealed in his word, his inspired word. That's the purpose for which he gave it, to lead you to Christ and to help you to walk with Christ. Now, I think that Paul is very clear. I think Peter is, is absolutely clear. But I want you to know there are, and, and it's almost to me ludicrous to even say this, but it must be said, there are many Christians who do not agree with Peter and Paul. Now, they wouldn't say it that way. They wouldn't be quite as bold or blatant to say that. But they do not agree. They must not agree because they feel that while the Bible tells us the basics of how to be saved and how to deal with some issues in life, they would also say it is not capable of telling us how to deal with the really complicated stuff in this modern age. It isn't capable of telling us how to deal with the really difficult things that come with the modern high-tech world that we live in. That is exactly where many Christians are coming from. They would tell us the Bible can't help us with difficult marriage conflicts, maybe basic stuff, but not real difficult stuff. Raising our kids in a harsh and, and tempting world, they would say, no, 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 the Bible doesn't address that. They would tell us the Bible won't help you if you're depressed. The Bible will, won't help you get out of sexual misconduct. They would say the Bible doesn't address a low self-image or eating problems or a midlife crisis or addictive behavior. They would say the Bible is not sufficient for that. And so because they don't see the Bible as sufficient to help them in these areas and others, they seek answers outside of the Bible. And that's why there's been such a rise of psychologists and counselors in our day. Because people have problems and they're seeking answers to their problems. And we understand that. But when Christians look to psychology for answers to behavioral issues, then the church has really embraced a form of neo-Gnosticism, which is exactly what's happening, because those trained in this field are looked upon as an elite core who possess the kind of knowledge needed to help people deal with their problems. It's said that when the famous missionary, Dr. David Livingston, started his trek across Africa, he had 73 books in three packs weighing 180 pounds. 
After the party had gone 300 miles, Livingston was obliged to throw away some of the books because of the fatigue of those carrying his baggage. As he continued on his journey, his library grew smaller and smaller until he had just one book left, his Bible. If I could only have one book, that's the one I'd choose too. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is made possible through the faithful prayers and generous gifts of listeners like you. To find out how you can help keep Verse by Verse on your radio, visit versebyverseradio.org. Or you can call Lakeside at the number I mentioned earlier, 727-441-1714. While you're exploring our website, be sure to stop by the Message Archive page, where you can stream or download any of the hundreds of previous broadcasts you'll find. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. The Bible really does have help for us in every situation, and so we have no excuse for not living a godly life. We can only say... I didn't know if we'd fail to read what God expects of us, but we can never say, it's not my fault. That might sound a little ominous, but I find it wonderfully encouraging that our Maker did not leave us to muddle through life without any guidance. Join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve shows us some of the ways Scripture helps us to live godly lives. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's ver- There's a lot going on right now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.